This is Archive Atlanta, episode 194, 1956, Sugar Bowl. You're listening to Archive Atlanta, a history podcast where each week I'll be sharing a story about the people, places, and events that shape the history of the city of Atlanta. I'm your host, local tour guide, and total history nerd, Victoria Lemos. Hey everyone, happy Friday. This week's mini episode came from an amazing listener, Keandre, who shared the story with me and I was instantly intrigued and obsessed. So this is like the quickest turnaround on an episode topic I've ever had. But the 1956 Sugar Bowl, while it was played in New Orleans, Louisiana, it did feature our local Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets playing against the University of Pittsburgh Panthers. The reason it's so important is because it was the first integrated bowl game in the Deep South. Football season is here. And in the South, college football reigns supreme. But if you listen to previous episodes about sports or stadiums, you know that nothing exists in a vacuum. Amateur and professional sports in Atlanta are intricately tied to class, race, boosterism, and the infamous Atlanta way. This short episode highlights all of those things mentioned above and more. Before we get into this very specific game, let's cover some quick history of segregated college football at Tech. Georgia Tech's football program dates back to 1892, and its iconic coach Heisman took the team to its first national championship in 1917. The 1920s brought five conference titles for Tech as well as a national championship in 1928. Another iconic coach, Bobby Dodd, led the team to the national championship in 1952. So every college team in the state of Georgia played strictly segregated games, as their schools were obviously segregated. But even when playing northern teams, there was kind of this gentleman's agreement. Basically a widely accepted, but sometimes actually legally contracted in their um, agreements that lasted from about the 1920s through the 1950s. Northern or Western college teams that had a non-white player would bench this player when playing schools from the Deep South even if this game was being played outside of the South. So like even if it was a game taking place in the North. In 1929, Tech made it to the Rose Bowl, which was against the University of California. But there was really no controversy there because the opposing team had no black players. In 1934, however, Tech made headlines for refusing to play the University of Michigan unless they would bench their black player. So they ended up making a deal where Tech benched one of their white players, like a chosen player, um, in return just to kind of ensure that the game would be played. By the 1950s, things start to quietly change. So in the fall of that year, UGA played St. Mary's College, which was led by their black halfback. Now, all of these games were still being played in the North. And I think that that's obviously why it was kind of passing, but it, it maybe seemed like this gentleman's agreement was quietly disappearing until 1956. You have to know some kind of historical backstory to understand why this happens at this time. And that's because in 1954, the United States Supreme Court ruled in the Brown versus Board of Education decision, which ruled that segregated schools were unconstitutional. The case was also reconfirmed in May of 1955. And if you listen to episode 122 that I did about the Georgia state flag, you'll remember that our entire 1956 legislative session was dedicated to setting up a plan to not integrate schools. They did a private school plan. They passed laws that um, push segregation. They even did a law that removed pensions for any police officers who did not uphold segregation ordinances. They also redesigned the state flag to include the Confederate battle design um, or battle flag design. And of course, that's a whole other episode. But giving you an idea of the effort that Georgia um, put into the kind of backlash of the Brown versus Board decision. 
Leading the state at that time was Georgia Governor Marvin Griffin, who served from 1948 to 1955. He had made appearances in a few episodes, like the 1954 golf course desegregation, when Griffith stated that, quote, commingling of the race in Georgia state parks and recreation areas would not be tolerated, end quote. Or in the public bus desegregation episode that I did where he put the National Guard on standby after the black ministers got on it. And then after Brown vs. Board, he says, quote, There will be no mixing of the race in public schools and college classrooms as long as I am governor, end quote. And he also says, quote, The rest of the nation is looking to Georgia for the lead in segregation, end quote. And I share all this to highlight that segregation was his thing. It was his political platform. It was his persona. Um, it was something that, again, was like so connected to his name. So when the 1955 Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets finished a very highly successful season and received an invite to the 1956 Sugar Bowl, Griffin was going to have some private and public opinions. The Sugar Bowl had been played annually and segregated in New Orleans since 1935, and New Orleans civic leaders had been re-examining their racial policies, just like many cities in the country. So their competitors were the Cotton Bowl and the Orange Bowl, which both accepted integrated teams. And so New Orleans was kind of doing a playbook out of the Atlanta way where, you know, are we, are we facing a disadvantage? Are we losing money? You know, are we not being competitive? So the year prior, they had modified their segregated seating policy. So that kind of allowed the U.S. Naval Academy to accept an invite to that bowl game. And when they offered the spot to the University of Pittsburgh for this coming one, um, it was definitely while being fully aware that they had a black player named Bobby Greer. After consulting with the players and key members of Georgia Tech Athletic Association, President Blake Van Leer and Coach Bobby Dodd accepted the bowl bid. As a precaution, Dodd also contacted Governor Griffin, whose son, by the way, was enrolled at Tech at the time. And he apparently says, and this is quoted, uh, Bobby, I can't come out publicly and support this, but you go ahead and do it, end quote. On December 1st, University Board of Regents Chair Robert Arnold receives a telegram from the state's Rights Council Executive Committee. This is led by an Augusta politician named Roy Harris and a group of eight other segregationists urging Bobby Dodd and Georgia Tech not to play this game. They needed to maintain segregation. Arnold makes a statement that, like, he really just downplays the whole thing. He's like, this is so silly. You know, he's like, Tech's going to play. You know, this is nothing. On December 2nd, 1955, Governor Griffin sends a telegram to the State Board of Regents expressing that teams from Georgia should not engage in racially integrated events, um, whether Black people are participating or even sitting in the stands. And his telegram says, quote, The South stands at Armageddon. The battle is joined. We cannot make the slightest concession to the enemy in this dark and lamentable hour of struggle. There is no more difference in compromising integrity of race on the playing field than in doing so in the classrooms. One break in the dike, and the relentless enemy will crush in and destroy us. End quote. Let's just say that Georgia Tech students were not in agreement. So, in response, about 2,000 of them burn an effigy of the governor on campus. They then stage a march to downtown Atlanta, where they assemble on the state capitol grounds. There, they hang or burn another effigy of the governor. They also destroy some garbage cans and some building doors, apparently. A smaller portion of the group then marched to the governor's mansion, where local police and state patrol blocked their path. 
And I think I read in one account that Griffin was burned in effigy six times. And even UGA students who, you know, don't typically like tech students band together. They were like going with the tech students to protest. And while the crowd did disperse at the governor's mansion after a brief standoff, they did arrest six tech students in the days following. In the most interesting turn of events, the governor was not for these arrests. So he actually calls Atlanta police. He expresses that he, he doesn't have any charges to press, and he even offers to pay the students bail. On January 2nd, 1956, the Sugar Bowl went on as scheduled, with Georgia Tech beating Pittsburgh 7-0. Bobby Greer became the first black player to play in the Sugar Bowl and a collegiate bowl game in the Deep South. He was a leading rusher in that game with 51 yards. And while this sounds like it's going to be a happy ending, six months later, Louisiana legislator passed the Athletic Events Bill, which prohibited interracial sports competitions, and the Sugar Bowl would not host a Northern team for the next eight years. After several legal battles, and then I think it's 1965, when the Sugar Bowl once again sees a black player when um, they played Syracuse, who I think had two black players. Georgia Tech is seen as leading the charge um, in the desegregation of college sports or college football. They did try to pass similar laws here in Georgia. Um, I think something got past the House, but not the Senate. And I can't remember the exact details of it. So there you have it. The story of the 1956 Sugar Bowl game and how Georgia Tech led the start of college sports desegregation. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Remember to leave a rating and or a review wherever you listen. There's also a Patreon link in the show notes to support the podcast. Hope everyone has a great weekend, and I'll talk to you next week.